welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I am glad to welcome my youngest son to our ministry team. Josh is one of the teaching pastors at Summit Church in Naples, Florida. Now take your Bibles and let's listen to God's Word together. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Psalm 146. Uh, we're actually wrapping up our series, our summer series throughout the book of Psalms as we look at the different postures of the people of God. And um, what are some attitude within our hearts that we should have towards the Lord that brings Him great glory, um, but also for our good as well. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's been, it's been such an honor and a privilege to sit under these other men and communicators this summer. Um, I've been blessed. God has challenged me, spoken to me, and even... The several passages that I've preached, God has just ministered to me um, through his word. And even though these postures are hard postures for us to have, um, we have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do it. And we know that it is for his glory and for our good. And so today we're going to look at the posture of trust that you and I can have towards the Lord. Um, and the psalm that we're going to use in order to unpack that is Psalm 146. Um, so I'm going to read Psalm 146 up front. It's only 10 verses. Um, and then we'll take time to process through it. Um, examine it, and then apply it to our lives. So this is Psalm 146, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, And on that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. So as we read through this passage and process through it, I think I want a question that I want you and I to consider right off the bat here as we begin to look at the posture of trust. And this question is this, where do you place your trust when situations are outside of your control? Maybe a better way to put that is, where do you place your ultimate trust when situations are outside of your control in your life? When you encounter those situations, right, that are out of your control, that cause the sleepless nights, that cause so much reactions and so much disturbance within your soul, when you encounter those things, where do you put your ultimate trust? I think it's even important to even define what we mean by trust this morning. And the way the Hebrew word is defined in verse three is that word trust means to have your confidence in, to replace reliance on a person or object. And so when you think about trusting something, what do you rely on? What do you trust in? Where do you cling to and hold to when situations are outside of your control? Where do you find yourself putting your trust when your life around you is going way different than what you expected? 
I think even as we consider that question, I think for, for some of us, we think that may be a question we consider every once in a while, right? We have the big situations in our lives that are outside of our controls. And in those moments, we have to process through what we're trusting because all of us are trusting in something when the situations are out of our control. But I actually think that question is more relevant than we give it credit for. I actually think it's a question that is something we should be asking more often than we think that we do. I think we often have a false sense of, of confidence. We have a false sense of control of what's really going on within our lives. We think we're more in control than we really are. I think an illustration that helps um, um, kind of process through that is um, the way the false confidence that I have when I watch sporting events, right? And so most of you know in this room, I'm a huge University of Georgia fan, right? The 2021 national champions, in case you forgot, right? The reigning champs. And so I love Georgia, love Georgia football. And on Saturdays, which is coming up very quick in the fall, you can find me watching Georgia football games. But you probably have never watched a Georgia football game with me because it's actually pretty embarrassing. Because I sit there and I'm in my living room watching my TV. And the game is happening hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. But in that moment, as I watch that game, I feel like that I have control over the outcome, Right. <laughs> You'll find myself talking to the players and instructing them what they should do. You find me giving advice to the coaches on how they should coach their team, right? You'll find me standing in certain areas of the room or sitting at certain couches because they're playing better when I position myself the right way, right? And so I think in those moments, I have a certain sense of control over that game and over that outcome. And if you don't do that yourself, you know somebody else that does, right? But really, which is so hard for me to admit right now, the reality is whether I watch every single snap of a Georgia game this year or whether I watch nothing, no game this year, the outcome of every game will be the same. Because the game is in the control of the players and the coaches. I have a false sense of control in those situations. And I think often it's the same when it comes to our lives that we believe that we have more control over our lives than we really do. We believe we have more control over situations and we act and function like we do. But in reality, we're often not in control of much of anything within our lives. And we know this, right? Because we're one phone call away. We're one conversation away. We're one bad news headline away from the world around us crumbling. And so as we ask this question, where do you place your ultimate trust when situations are outside of your control? That's not a question we ask every once in a while. That is a daily question that you and I must ponder within our hearts, within our lives, because daily we're encountering situations that are out of our control. So as you can probably imagine, because we're sitting in a church and based on the sermon series, where we need to place our trust when when moments are outside of our control is in the Lord. And what do we mean by that, by placing our trust? What does it look like for us to have a posture of trust? This is what we mean. When we have a posture of trust, it means that I, you, we trust the Lord is sovereign. We trust that he's in control over everything. Every situation is in his control. He is sovereign over all. We're saying I trust that his salvation is sufficient. Meaning that I cannot save myself, that he alone can save me. He does that through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. When I place my faith in him, his salvation is sufficient. It is enough. We're saying that we trust the Lord. We trust that his will is better. 
That means his will for my life, for the lives of the people I love and care about. It is better than my will. It's better than what I want, walking according to God's word, obeying his commandments. That is a better life for me to live. His will is better. I trust that. I trust that his presence is best. I trust being in the presence of the Lord. That is where joy and life is found. That's where true happiness and worth and purpose is found and that the best thing for me is the presence of God. I trust that. And then I trust that his character is good. When the situations go differently than what I hope and what I pray for, I can trust and rest that his character is good, even in those moments. That's what it means for us to have a a posture of trust. It means that I am confident, I am relying on, I believe, I'm trusting, Lord, that you alone can lead me and guide me. That ultimately you're the one that satisfies me. You're the one that restores me, forgives me. You're the one that upholds me, sustains me. You are my God. I trust and I believe in that. My posture of trust towards our great God. And I think for most of you in this room, you would give a hearty amen to that. Yes, we must trust in the Lord. Those things are true. But if that thing is true, if we believe we should trust in the Lord, then why so often do I have so much anxiety within my life? Why am I constantly plagued with fear and doubt over the situations that are out of my hands? Why is that so common? Fear, doubt, and anxiety if I believe that this is true. I think the the reason why it is is that I think it's easier for us to mentally and logically understand trusting the Lord than it is for us to practically believe it and put it into place within our lives. There's the disconnect. It's easier to believe it, but it's harder to put it into practice. I love this song by City of Light. We sang another one of their songs just moments ago. Listen to these lyrics. It says, I will trust my Savior Jesus when my darkest doubts befall. Trust him when to simply trust him seems the hardest thing of all. Sometimes just trusting the Lord and the situations that are out of our control can be really hard, can be really challenging. Maybe because we don't know the Lord by his word. Maybe we don't believe he says who he says he is. Or maybe the things around us seem to be easier to trust. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at Psalm 46, excuse me, Psalm 146, and to say, what do you and I need to call to mind as we struggle to trust the Lord? What do we need to remember? What do we need to cling to and hold to? And Psalm 146 gives us a great, great things to look at. It gives us a warning about the things that we shouldn't trust in. It gives us an invitation of why we should trust the Lord. And even specifically, it tells us why he's worthy of our trust. And then also reminds us of the goal. What is the goal in trusting the Lord? What's the end result? And so let's take time to process through those today based on Psalm 146. And so the first thing we're going to look at is the warning. What's the warning that we see here? Do not place your trust in the momentary. Do not place your ultimate trust in the momentary things of this world. Let's read verses three and four again together. He says, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth and on that very day, his plans perish. And so the writer of Psalm 146, he gives us a warning. He says, the warning here is, do not place your trust in momentary things. And he he describes a prince, do not put your trust 
and princes. Well, we have a different government system, right, in the United States in 2022. I don't think anyone in here has a prince that's over them uh, that they might be tempted to, to put their trust in. But that word prince there, what it means in the Hebrew is it means somebody of a noble status. And even though we might not have a prince or princes within our lives, we do have people within our lives, systems within our lives, structures that we look at as somebody who is noble. And even though these systems and places and people are very good, we are tempted to put our ultimate trust in them as we begin to think through the things that are out of our control. I think why we do that is because it's easy to do because they're there in front of us. These princes in our lives are present. They're, we can touch them. We can interact with them. We can, we can talk to them. We can see them and feel them. They're tangible things in front of us. And at times, they often feel nearer to the situation than who God is. And so we grasp these things. We grasp them. And we say, this is what I need. These princes, these are the ones that I can place my ultimate trust in. And the moments are outside of my control. But the psalmist reminds us why we shouldn't place our trust in them. He tells us they do not save. In, in the Son of Man, there is no salvation. In humankind, there is no salvation. We can't trust them ultimately because they do not save us. In them, there is no salvation. He also reminds us that they're not eternal, that their breath will depart, that they will return down to the ground, that they are finite beings that have a lifespan that with the beginning and the end, eventually these people will no longer be here. They are not eternal. And then lastly, he reminds that even the plans that they have will go to the grave with them. Their system, their structures, the things that they do will also perish with them. The warning we see here is for you and I not to place our trust in the momentary things and the princes within our lives. And I think as we think through in our lives, what are things in our lives that we consider to be princes? Things that we could look to, to put an unhealthy level of trust in them. I think there's three things that we can often look at. We can look at ourselves, we can look at other people, or we can look at different systems and structures that are around us. And so first, let's look at the warning not to place our ultimate trust in ourselves. And so as you think through this in your own life, Often when situations are spinning out of your control, you will often look to yourself in order to fix everything that's going to get things back under control. Maybe you look to your own logic within a situation, your ability to think through things and problem solve. Maybe you look at your leadership ability. Maybe you look at your way of your hard work, your strength. You look at your wisdom, your own moral compass. You look to yourself and say, I'm the one that can figure this out. I can trust ultimately within myself. Maybe when it comes to your salvation, you think it's up to you to, to earn God's favor, or to produce a certain level of good works that God will be pleased with you and to let you into heaven, that you put an unhealthy status on yourself to say, I can do this. I can figure this out. I can solve this situation. And this is where I find the most temptation to put my trust in. I can often put a, an unhealthy level of trust within my own work ethic within my own moral compass, within my own ability to problem solve or manipulate a situation. And I too can find victim to this. And I think, I, I got this. I'm the only one that I need. We see, what does it say in Psalm 146? You can't save yourself. In you, there is no salvation. We can't place trust in our salvation based on ourselves. 
We see other parts of Scripture that even warn against that as well. Look what it says in Proverbs 28, 26. It says, he who trusts in his own mind is a fool. The Bible just called me a fool. (laughs) And rightly so. I am a fool when I trust in my own mind, when I think that I have the ability to handle this situation. It is unwise for me to do that. It is foolish for me to trust in my own mind. And even we see the more familiar passage of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Look what it says. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in him, rely on him, place your confidence in him with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths or he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord, acknowledge him with your ways. Do not lean on your own understanding, in your own wisdom, in your own logic. And we are finite human beings. We cannot save ourselves. So do you find yourself today looking to yourself to save yourself, putting your ultimate trust in you to solve these situations that are outside of your control? How's the Lord asking you to repent of that and to own your temptation to do that? So we can put our trust in ourselves, but also I think we can elevate other people to the level of prince. I think that's common for us to do if we don't, feel confidence within ourselves, we might put our ultimate trust in other people. Often these are people that we respect. These are people that we care deeply about. Maybe it's a political leader, whether it's local or national. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a mentor or a mother or father or mother or father figure. Maybe someone that we care deeply about. It could even be a spouse. And it's good for us to respect these people. It's good for us to listen to these people. They give us great advice. It's good for them to help us as we walk this life. But what we can do that is harmful is we put too much trust in them. We put an unhealthy level of trust, maybe even ultimate trust in them. And we think they are the ones that can save us. They are the ones that can care for us, restore us. They are who we need in our moments of despair and our hardships. I think probably the easiest way that we often do this, I would say probably everyone in this room to a certain degree is within political leaders. Now, political leaders are important. Political leaders are people that to a certain level we can trust. These are people that we should maybe be concerned about who we vote for. We should go to the polls and cast our votes. We should know the people that we're voting for. We can have even passion towards different political things. That's all that is fine. But what we often do is we put unhealthy trust in them. And we think that is up to them in order to save us or to rescue us. If you may be questioning, do I put an unhealthy level of trust in in a political leader? Here are a few questions to consider. When you think about the state of this country, when you think about the health of this country, do you think it all boils down to the elections that happen in November? That the fate of this country boils down to the November elections. When When you think about the elections that are coming up, If your political party, your political individual does not get into office, the one that you are casting a vote for, do you believe that the world and the country is going to fall to the ground, that we've lost all hope and we're going to be sitting in ruin if that person doesn't get elected? Or when you think about people who have a different political view than you do, who are voting for a different candidate or political position, do you find yourself becoming angry and bitter 
and mean towards those individuals, whether it's in your mind or face-to-face or on social media? If you could answer yes to any of those questions, you might be placing an unhealthy level of trust in political leaders. The warning that we see here that these individuals, their breath will depart. They will return back to the ground. They are just individuals. That's all that they are. We can't put our ultimate trust into them. And we see a warning of this in the Bible and in the book of, a book of Proverbs. Look what it says in Proverbs 25, 19. This is kind of a funny proverb. It says, trusting in a treacherous man, right? A sinful human being, somebody who is, who is finite, right? Putting ultimate trust in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. <laughs> so putting this unhealthy level of trust in a treacherous man or woman, it's like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Like, what does that even mean? Well, if you think about it, when you think about a bad tooth or a foot that slips, there's a few things you can notice. First, it's very painful, right? A bad tooth is painful. A foot that is consistently slipping is causing you pain. They're painful. Not only are they painful, but there's, they're dysfunctional, right? Like you can't eat something with a bad tooth. You can't walk around. You're always constantly slipping. They're dysfunctional. They don't have the purpose that they need to have. And then lastly, they're irritating, right? It's irritating if you continue to fall. It's irritating if you have a tooth that continues to hurt. And so what this proverb reminds us is when we place this unhealthy level of trust in these individuals, in mankind, it is painful, it is dysfunctional, and it is irritating for us because we're giving them a status of prince that we were never supposed to give them. And so as you think through your life, are you placing an unhealthy level of trust in any individual? a political leader, a pastor, a friend, a mentor? How are you, how are you need to be heed to the warning that we see in Psalm 146? And then lastly, we see as it comes to princes is structures or systems within our lives. Maybe it's not yourself, maybe it's not an individual, but you have certain structures or systems within your life that you continue to put too much confidence in. Maybe it's your wealth or your assets, the things that you have. Maybe it's your job or your career or your business strategy. Maybe it's your philosophy, your way of living, your health, the way you think about healthcare, the way you think about working out, the way you think about living your life, a certain lifestyle that you chose and you put your hope and trust in that. Maybe it's in an educational system. Maybe it's within the government or the powers within the government. That these are all good things that, that we should be looking to and, and having at least impact in our lives. But are you putting it to an unhealthy level? You think when life is out of my control, these things, these people, these structures, these communities, they will be what I lean on. They will be where I put my trust and my reliance. But what does this tell us in Psalm 146, right? The plans will perish with the people. That the plans and the structures and the systems that we have created, they will eventually fade. They're not eternal, just like the people who created them. And so we think and remind of what it says in, in Proverbs eleven twenty eight: whoever trusts in his riches will fall. And then even what it says in Psalms 27, some trust in chariots, some in horses, some trust in their power, their powerful systems or structures around them. But we, we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. 
And I hear that I'm reminded of Exodus, right? When Pharaoh with his chariots and his horses, the, this huge mighty army is chasing after the helpless Israelites, right? He put so much trust in his chariots and his horses to bring the Israelites back into captivity. But what happened? Right? The horse and the rider were thrown into the sea because it was the Lord who was at ultimate power. He is who the Israelites could trust over chariots and over horses. So today, do you find yourself placing an, an unhealthy level of trust and structures and systems within your life? How today are you hearing the warning and need to take action of trusting in the momentary things of this world and people who will ultimately cannot save in yourself or in systems and structures who will eventually go to the grave, whose plans will fall apart? And beloved, let us hear the warning of Psalm 146, the warning not to trust in the momentary. I love Charles Spurgeon, his quote on this passage. Listen to what it says. He's a brilliant pastor, theologian. Look what he says. He says, all men are like the few men who were made into princes. They are more in appearance than in reality, more in promising than in performing, more apt to help themselves than to help others. How many have turned away heartsick from men of whom they once relied. Never was this the case with the believer in the Lord. He's a very present help in time of trouble. And man, there is no help in times of mental depression, in the day of sore bereavement, in the night of conviction of sin, or in the hour of death. So we're warned not to place our trust in the momentary, in the princes, but instead the invitation is to place our trust in the Lord. Look what it says in verse five when speaking of this, right? Don't place your trust in princes, but instead it says in verse five, blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. We see blessed, we see a beatitude here. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. This is where the blessed person lies, where they lie themselves in helping from the Lord. They, they sit there and they hope in, in the God. And I love how even the word hope, what that means here in the Hebrew is it means this. It means a looking forward with expectation to a good and beneficial state. So we can hope in the Lord. We can trust him when the situations are outside of our control. We can hope, right, with good expectations of a beneficial state that we're trusting that the Lord would give us. We can trust in the Lord. And what I love about Psalm 146 is he doesn't end it there. The writer, he continues to tell us why we can trust in the Lord. The first reason he tells us that we can trust in the Lord because his power is matchless. Look what he says, speaking of the Lord in, verses, in verse six. It's talking about God, he said, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. And so he talks about God and he's, he's reminding us that his power is matchless. The way that he does this is very common throughout scripture, especially in the Old Testament, to emphasize the power of God. The writer talks about God as creator. He's saying, do you want to see someone whose power is matchless? Let's talk about the only one who created the heavens and the earth. It's like the trump card for power. Let's talk about the one who by his word created everything. The God who said, let there be light and there was light. 
the God who formed the galaxies and the world into existence. This is how powerful our God is. He's the most powerful being in the entire universe. He can create out of nothing. This is how powerful our God is. He is the creator of all. And as we think through our lives about trusting the Lord, you're not trusting in something that is weak and fragile. You're trusting in a God whose power is matchless. You're trusting in a God who can speak things into existence. He can say, let there be light and light appears. He is the most powerful. We can trust in him, beloved, because his power is matchless. He is the creator. But not only does he emphasize God as creator when talking about his matchless power, but he also says something else about God. He said, he keeps faith forever. Meaning not only does he have the power to create the universe and the galaxies, but he also has the power to remain faithful forever. See, he isn't a God who changes from season to season. He's not a God that says certain things in order to win more votes. He's not a God that up front says something, but then in secret does something different. This is a God who is faithful to you and I. And when we read the promises of scripture, we can trust that these promises were true back then. They're true now. They'll be true tomorrow and they'll be true forever because our God's power is matchless. He keeps faith forever. And so when we think about the promises of God, the things that we can trust, we can cling them, right? When, when God says that he is the Lord and he is sovereign, like it says in Psalms 113.3, the Lord is sovereign, he does what he pleases. We know that's true then and we can trust that's true in our lives today. We talk about the Lord's salvation is sufficient. We can believe what it says in Psalm 62.2 that God alone is our salvation, that through Christ and faith in him, that alone is how we can be saved, not only today, but forever we can cling to that when we think about his will being what is best for us, then we can believe what it says in Psalms 18.3 that his way, his way is perfect. His words are flawless. That God's will for us is always what's best for us. When he keeps his promises forever, we can trust what it says in Psalm 16.11 that his, in his presence, there is fullness of joy, that his presence is better. True satisfaction and worth is found in the presence of our God. In him, there is fullness of joy. That's true now and forevermore. And we can trust the character of God will always be good because it says in Psalms 34.8, taste and see that the Lord is good. These characteristics of our God do not change. And so when you trust in the ultimate God of this universe, you're trusting a God whose power is matchless. And what does that mean for you and I in our moments of hardship and distress? It means that we do not need to fear bad news. Look at it says in Psalms 112, six and seven. It says, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. And how convicting is that? Because I am constantly afraid of bad news. I am constantly worried about a phone call or a conversation or a news headline. I often live in a state of fearful that bad news will happen to me or to my family. But because our God is matchless in power, because he will never be moved. Beloved, we don't have to be afraid of bad news. 
we can trust and stand firm in who God is. His power is matchless towards you and me. That Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength to believe that? The strength to cling to that? We don't have to be afraid of bad news because our God's power is matchless when we trust in him. And not only is his power matchless, but then it tells us that his personal care is abundant. So the psalmist is emphasizing, your God is powerful. He is matchless. He can keep faith forever. He is big. He is mighty. But then he zooms in to our personal lives and says, he's not only matchless in power, but he's personal in his care towards you. That means the things that you're struggling to trust the Lord with, he cares about those. That means the situations that are outside of your control, that are causing the anxiety, the doubt, the fear, the the sleepless nights, he actually cares specifically for those things within your life. He is a personal God who cares for you in your specific situation. And he talks about this when it, this moving down in the verses, Verses six through, excuse me, verses seven through nine. What is crazy is these three verses, five times the personal name of God is used, Yahweh in the Hebrew. Five times in three verses, emphasizing that our God is personal. Our God is near. Our God cares for those who are weak. Our God has abundant care for you in your moments of distress. Look what it says, starting in verse seven. And do you feel oppressed today by what's going on in your life? You have a God who executes justice for you. Are you hungry, longing for more and to be satisfied? You have a God who feeds you. Do you find yourself in captivity to sin or addiction? You have a God who sets prisoners free. Are you blinded today by your spiritual need for a savior? You have a God who opens your eyes. He opens the eyes of the blind of your need for him. Do you find yourself crushed by what's going on around you? Bow down. You have a God who lifts you up. The Lord loves the righteous. If you're in Christ Jesus, if his righteousness is your righteousness, he loves you. Do you find yourself sojourning through this world, longing for a greater home, The Lord watches over the sojourner. You find yourself with great loss within your life, feeling like a widow or a fatherless. It's the Lord that will uphold you. What we see is that we have a personal God who is abundant in care towards you, that you can trust him, not only because he's matchless in power, but you can trust him because he's personal, he's caring, he wants to come to you in moments of your distress. So what does that mean for you and I? It means that we can cast our anxieties before him. I love what it says in 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because your God is abundant in care. You can cast all of your anxieties upon him. You can cast them, throw them to him, and you can trust him because he is a God that cares for you. He's not a God that is too big or or too powerful to listen to what you have to say. He's personal in his care. He desires to hear from you. He desires for you to cast your anxieties before him. What are you anxious about today? 
How's God calling you to trust him and cast your anxieties before him? Because he does care for you. And then thirdly, we see that we can trust the Lord because his reign is forever. It says in the last verse, verse 10, it says, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. What good news that we have as we trust in the Lord. We're not only trusting because he's matchless in power and he's abundant in care, but we're also trusting in one whose reign will not end. His reign will never come to a completion. That means that your God is sitting on his throne and he's not going to one day get kicked off. He's not going to one day be voted out. He's not going to one day decide to retire. That you have a God who you can cast all your anxieties before him. You have a God who desires to make you at peace and not to fear bad news because he will reign forever and ever. His reign does not come to an end. And so when you trust him, you can know that you're trusting a God, not in some temporary being that will one day go down to the ground, not in someone whose plans will one day dissolve. You're trusting in a powerful God whose reign is true now and forevermore, it will be true. And one day when this world is over and you're no longer dealing with the anxiety and the fear and the doubt, you will be able to be with him and his perfect peace for all of eternity because he's a powerful, mighty, strong God whose reign will never come to an end. So you can trust in that God, beloved. And even now on this earth, what does that mean for us as we trust him? It means that we can trust him with this perfect peace that it talks about in Isaiah 26, three and four. Because he reigns forever, you and I can have perfect peace. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord your God is an everlasting rock. Your God is an everlasting foundation. He will not get washed away. He will not corrode. He's always there. He's an everlasting rock. So when you trust in the God who reigns forever, you can have perfect peace. Perfect peace because no one is going to overthrow him. No one will knock him off. So how is God working in your heart today to place your trust in him? How do you need to be reminded that his power is matchless, that his care is abundant and that his reign will never come to an end? And so what's the goal in this? What's the goal as we trust the Lord? Is the goal that we can manipulate the situation to get what we want? Is the goal that God will give us everything we pray for? What's the goal when we place our ultimate trust in him when the situations are outside of our control? The goal is praise. A posture of trust in the Lord leads us to greater praise towards the Lord. When we position ourselves in a posture of trust, what that ultimate leads to is it leads to worship. It leads to praise. It leads to deeper intimacy with God. Look what it says in verses one and two. We saved the, the first verses for last. Look what it says. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And we can praise him. We can sing songs to him in praise. We can praise him as long as we live because we have a God who is worthy of our trust. We can praise God that we don't have to put our trust in princes and the momentary things of this world. And we can trust him that we can put our trust in him. A God who is powerful, caring, 
and his reign will never come to an end. We can praise God in these moments of hardships and distress when our world seems to be spinning around and we can praise him that we have someone to put our trust in, someone who is worthy of our trust within our lives. Beloved, the posture of trust is one of the hardest places to be. But I promise you, it's the best place to be, depending on a great God who is worthy to be trusted, who can praise him that we have a God that cares for us, is powerful, and his reign will not end. So what does this mean for you and I practically, right? What does it mean for us as we walk out of this room as we go into our homes throughout the week, when the fear and the anxiety and the doubt, which will come again, begins to disturb our souls, what do we do in those moments based on what we learned today in Psalm 146? There's three things that we can do, and they all start with an R. (laughs) Maybe you can remember them better. The first thing you do when the moment comes into your mind is you request. You request. I love what it says in Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, make your request known to God, meaning that we have a God that cares enough to hear your opinion on a situation. (laughs) He cares enough to hear what you have to say. If you have a desired outcome, pray that. Request the Lord to do it. Ask him to do specific things. Make your request known to God. Say, Lord, this is what I desire in this situation. And we have a loving God who listens to what we have to say. Make your request known. Be honest before the Lord of what you desire. And after you make your request known, the second thing you can do is to remember. Remember the trustworthiness of the Lord. Call to mind the things that we talked about today. Reread Psalm 146. Read other passages that talk about the trustworthiness of God and say, Lord, I want to trust you. I want to trust what you have to say. I believe that you are worthy of my trust. And through that, right, we can... Ask the Lord, as it talks about in Philippians chapter four, to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus with his peace. Give me peace in this situation as I, as I remember who you are, remembered your character, I remember you were worthy of that. And then after we request, we remember, and then the last thing we do, we rest. We rest in who the Lord is and what he's done. And I think a verse that can cause us to have so much rest is the promise of Romans 8, 28. It says that we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That means that you can rest in the truth that the situation that you are anxious about, the situation that you're wrestling with, you can be reminded that God will work that situation for your good. It might go completely different than the way that you ask. It might go on a totally different route than what you go. It might even go to what you fear more than anything else. But the promise you can rest in is that we have a God that works out all these situations. He works it for your good. He works it for his glory. And you can rest even if things go sideways. That God will actually use this hard and challenging situation. He'll use it. You can rest in that. He might use it to grow you in your relationship with him, to strengthen your faith. He might use it to shape you to look more like Jesus. But he's using these situations in your life for his good, for your good, and for his glory. Beloved, you can rest in that. This isn't something that's like a one and done. You don't do this one time and then it's over. These are constantly, just like we talked about last week with lament, you might be constantly trusting the Lord with these things. 
You might have to do it on a daily basis. You might have to do it on an hourly basis. Make your request, remember, and rest. Even last night, as I was laying in bed, for a year and a half, I've been praying about something and I'm probably gonna have to pray for it for way more longer than that. And I had to remind myself, this is out of my control, but I can rest, I can request, and I can remember that you're good. He is a God that is worthy of our trust, beloved. I promise you that. I promise you that. As we think through this and as we end today, man, the greatest display of a God who is trustworthy to us, the greatest way he displayed that was through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus, right, was a display of God's matchless power. That God took on human flesh, came down to earth for us. He was matchless in his power. He's forever faithful because he promised he would do that and he kept his promise. It also shows that our God is abundant in care because Jesus came on a mission. His mission was to seek and save those who were lost. That Jesus came with his abundant care towards us who were hopeless and helpless and nothing we could do to earn salvation. Jesus did everything necessary. He lived that perfect life we could not live. He died on the cross for our sins, experiencing the the death and the punishment and the separation from the Father we deserve. Jesus experienced for that. He cared for those who were weak and unable. And then we see that his reign through Jesus is forevermore because Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave victorious. Victory over death, victory over sin, victory over Satan. And his reign will be forevermore because he holds the death, the keys to death in Hades. He is the victorious one. And so we can rest in this. We can believe in this. We can cling to this. And even as we take communion like we do every week, What a tangible reminder of the trustworthiness of our God. The links that Jesus took in order to save us and to redeem us and to bring us back to himself. And so the way that we do this at Summit is we we take a piece of bread, we dip it into the juice. There's two tables in the front, there's two in the back. As you come, you can be reminded what Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can trust that the God who went to great lengths to save you, redeem you, and to bring you back to himself, he's worthy to be trusted. And so in just a moment, as the music plays, if you're a believer, come, take up communion. Be reminded of what your God has done. Reflect on his trustworthiness. Plead to him. Cry out to him. And if you're a non-believer, if you've never taken that step to trust in Jesus, We ask that you not take of the tables because that's for those who have trusted in Jesus. But instead, today's the invitation to trust in our God, to trust in the God who is matchless in his power, who's abundant in his care and a God that will reign forevermore. And we would love to talk to you about that. Come talk to me afterwards, anybody with a name tag, maybe the person that brought you here. And we'll even have a pastor in the back that can pray for you. And that's not just for those who want to accept Christ. Maybe you today just need someone to pray with you because you're struggling to trust the Lord. We would love to pray with you, talk with you. So let's be reminded today of how great and awesome our God is. Let us continue to walk this Christian faith with a posture of trust. Let us look to the Holy Spirit to empower us and strengthen us to do that. And let us remember, beloved, the posture of trust is the best place you could ever be. The tables are open. Come whenever you're ready.